Hello, my fellow fallible humans. Welcome to the Red Roof Recovery Show, a program to soften the path of recovery from substance and behavioral addictions. My name is Tanya McIntyre, and I'm joined today by my beautiful husband, my best friend, my business partner, and now my canning mate. We just bought ourselves an anniversary present <laughs> to start canning some vegetables. Sir Lancelot, I call him. Lance is my husband of now 31 years. Happy anniversary, sweetheart. Thanks for being here. Thank you, my love, and happy anniversary to you too. Thank you. One of the best decisions I ever made. Me too. We're going to talk today about something that I hear every day from people who want to talk to me about recovery and starting that journey. And I can certainly relate with it because I used excuses about why I wanted to continue my drug and alcohol addictions. So we're talking about the excuses. You know, I often say to people, I would add that to the book of excuses, but it's already there. And we have something in SMART recovery. SMART is something that uh, transformed my life after being a chronic relapser in 12-step programs for eight years. I went in search of an alternative that could uh, possibly save my life because a lot of my peers in 12-step programs weren't returning from their relapses. So I wanted to find something that could prevent me from having uh, annual relapses at that point, and maybe something I could bring to my community that would help others. Um, in their challenges with abstaining from their addictions. And it's a stages of change. So SMART stands for self-management and recovery training. It's a secular program, evidence-based. It's always evolving with science. I like it uh, for that element and also the fact that it was founded by doctors. And I like the cognitive therapies that I'm learning because I'm retraining my brain uh, to, you know, basically replace those neural networks, those pathways that were not serving me in a healthy way. I'm learning now to manage my urges, thoughts, feelings, moods, and behaviors with cognitive therapies. And they use something in SMART called the stages of change. And I use this with people all the time so they can recognize where they are in their decision because it's all about making the decision to abstain from your addictions. And I have lots of people saying, well, can't I moderate? How can I learn how to moderate? <laughs> I did that for many years as well. So let's take a look at the stages of change. So first of all, there's pre-contemplation. That's where I was stuck for uh, many, many years. Okay. And that's when people would bring it up. Um, you know, what, what, do you, what do you mean? What problem? I don't have a problem. Don't bug me. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just asking some questions. And even when my doctor uh, suggested that I might be uh, alcoholic, I, I, rather than face that, I got myself another doctor. So denial, right? We say in 12-step programs, denial is more than a big river in Egypt. So I was stuck in pre-contemplation for a long, long time. I knew I had a problem, but I just didn't want to have to face it. So pre-contemplation pre is what most of us would call in the state of denial. In, yeah, absolutely. Everyone and sweetheart, you know, uh, I just want to say that you've, you've got a very low tone, and I just want you to get a little bit closer to the microphone, honey. Thank you. <laughs> uh, 
So we so, don't have our sound engineer saying, not again. So the rest of us can see that the person has a problem. Absolutely. Because Friends and family can see it clear as day. And if it's pulled up to that person in any way, shape or form, there's the denial. Absolutely. Denial, resentment, um, resistance, absolutely. Uh, defensiveness, yes. Mm -hmm. So the strategy, when I'm talking to people in pre-contemplation, because there's absolutely very little I can say to people to get them to where they need to go, except uh, try to... Um, you know, kind of drop the, the breadcrumbs along their path. So they might pick it up and, and say, oh, whew, yes, there's the way. So that is uh, the strategy of helping them look at the whole situation. And I, you know, I, I often do that in a way where we call it motivational interviewing. We ask uh, questions without being, you know, too probing, too personal. We're just trying to guide them to their own revelation that, oh yeah, maybe I do have a problem. So some of the tools to use in that strategy of uh, trying to encourage someone to see their whole situation, I could suggest that they join one of my SMART meetings. If not mine, there are hundreds of SMART meetings happening all the time. It's an international organization, a nonprofit organization, uh, volunteer driven. So I volunteer to facilitate three meetings a week and you can access meetings from all over the world at any time zone. Uh, Smart Recovery has an app, so just look for it on your phone. Just do a search in your app store for Smart Recovery, and you'll have all of those meeting links at your fingertips along with a toolbox of uh, excellent resources. And I, they threw in some daily motivation that I absolutely love as well. So I say, why don't you just check out a smart meeting? See, see what you think. See if it resonates for you. Because I think the key to recovery is to keep looking. The key, right? Keep educating yourself. Another great acronym. Keep looking for something that resonates with you because you need synergy with something for it to work. And then take a look at the Smart Recovery website. A wealth of information and resources there. Smartrecovery.org. But wouldn't that come with the next step? And if, if in, not necessarily, you know, you just, you don't want to overwhelm people. You just want to point them in the direction. But if yeah. you're in pre-contemplation, mm -hmm. you, you're saying you haven't got a problem. So why would anyone look at SMART if they haven't come to conclusion that they have a problem? Well, especially when people ask me, can I, you know, can, can I learn how to moderate it? And I say, well, you know, moderation might be able to work. Why don't you explore that idea? Have a look at smartrecovery.org. They've got lots of resources there. Okay. So just plant, planting seeds, right? Pointing in the direction. So then the next stage of change is contemplation. I want to change, but then I don't want to change. Oh, I don't really want to do the work. I don't want to have to abstain from the things that are giving me my only pleasure in life. You know, I mean, my addictions to drug and alcohol, uh, you know, they were my best friends. I wasn't ready to give those up anytime soon. And then of course the denial, right? And not being motivated. So when you're in that contemplation stage, can you, could you recognize that for me when, when you were going through my process? Well, I think, I think I'm, the pre-contemplation 
stage was easier to, because as we've spoken about before, um, prior to going to Spain, when you finally took it into your own hands to seek help. Um, that was the hitting rock bottom, as it's known in recovery circles, yes. Yeah. Um, but we used to get to a point where your drinking seemed to be getting a little bit out of hand. And I would say to you, you might want to roll it back a little bit. And as we've spoken about before, outwardly, you, you did roll it back. So there was, and you said you drank when I went to bed. So you weren't really wrong, but, but you, you went into the, the whole pre-contemplation. You, you go through the process of showing that you're rolling it back, shall we say, even if you weren't. So I could identify that. The real change when I knew something had changed, again, as we've spoken about, is when we were in Spain. And I pointed out that your drinking was getting a little bit heavier than it should be. And you just denied that there was a problem, told me to take it and go away. And that's when I knew something was really up. Mm -hmm. And you didn't seem to be wanting to fix it. Right. So that so was large, largely circumstantial and situational, right? Yeah. So the circumstances of our life had changed drastically. Uh, we had done a major move. So moving, they say, is one of the most um, stressful things we do in a lifetime. And this was a major move across uh, continents. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I was mired in bureaucracy. So I couldn't legally work. Yeah. And so I had way too much time on my hands. And I got mixed up with uh, the wrong <laughs> group of people, right? Because we become the company we keep. I say that all the time, watch who you're yeah. hanging around with. And of course I was hanging around with a lot of British and German expats who were retired and had their own challenges with addictions. So I was uh, falling right into a play with the crowd. Now, some people in that crowd, of course, could manage uh, their addictions better than I was at the time. But again, that the, with the circumstances and situation that I was facing, I think that contributed to the spiral downward very quickly for me, which was a good thing. It finally um, got me off the pot to make a decision to stop slowly killing myself. So I think it was a good thing. I say, so you were in pre-contemplation. Mm -hmm. And then you well, went most into of my life. I was in pre-contemplation, right? I, I knew it was a problem. <laughs> where you, you recognized that, yeah, something wasn't right. What is an addiction? An addiction is something that we continue to do in spite of negative consequences. Yeah. So the negative consequences were to my health for the most part. Um, you know, I hadn't uh, thankfully had any DUIs. I hadn't lost a job. I hadn't lost my family. Um, so. Yeah, no. Was relationship. Well. I can have you floating around, yeah, on an indecision raft as well. Yeah, yeah, you say health, but there are consequences to relationships as well. Mm, absolutely. Yes. So the contemplation stage, uh, the strategy there is to help get some clarity around your situation. 
to the very best of your ability. And some of the tools that you can use with SMART is the hierarchy of values. Although that's a pretty deep, that's a deep exercise to do when you're fresh in recovery. That has been my experience anyway. Um, I avoided doing that for a long time because it, it, it was um, asking some pretty deep questions that I wasn't ready to face. In the hierarchy of values, we are encouraged to define what you value most in life. And then you ask yourself uh, the, the three deeper questions. What do I want for my future? How do I, or what, do I, what am I doing about that? And then how do I feel about what I'm doing about that? And I just wasn't ready to face those questions. So I, I uh, put that one off for a while, but uh, SMART recommends that that's one of the tools to use if you're in the contemplation stage. Not so for me, right? And we're all different. So you have to find something that works for you. For me, I, I gravitated towards something else called the cost benefit analysis. And you and I had done that. Um, Multiple times, yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you find it helpful? Yes. So the cost-benefit analysis, uh, just so we can elaborate on it a little bit, it's a four-quadrant exercise that you're encouraged to do in writing, and you list the costs and benefits of doing something, and then the cost and benefits of not doing something. Yeah, I, I think the people deep, deep down know the answers to the questions. Of course we do. It's just when you put it on a piece of paper and do the, the quadrants instead of trying to hold all that information in your, your head at one time, it, it's there to, it's, it becomes more clear. Clear. It's getting clarity. It's getting it out of your head and onto a piece of paper. Okay. So you initially done the cost benefit analysis. Once you were comfortable, you went to the hierarchy of values. I did. But not until probably a year later. Okay. So what prompt? You just felt, felt more comfort, comfortable in your uh, recovery journey or? Absolutely. Um, you know, they, they say there's, it's different to feel better and get better, right? So I was feeling better because I was abstaining from my addiction. So that take, takes time to heal your body and mind to heal. Uh, from, you know, the, the constant intake of drugs and alcohol to, you know, get me those healthy dopamine levels, that's gone now. So the vacuum was created in my life, the addictions are gone, what do I fill it with? Well, for me, I filled it with smart recovery, cognitive therapies, I became a facilitator almost immediately. And I started to facilitate meetings. I was facilitating a weekly meeting in our hometown at the time to give people an alternative to 12 steps. And then I was doing online as well. Mm -hmm. And then when the pandemic hit in 2020, uh, the whole world migrated to Zoom. And I was doing, I still am doing three Zoom meetings a week for SMART. And for me, that repetition, so the difference is when we get better, feeling better is fleeting, it comes and goes, you know, it's flux and flow. Mm -hmm. Getting better happens when we systematically apply and reapply the tools that we have found to work for us that uh, can elevate our mood without drugs and alcohol or whatever substances or behaviors we are using that are unhealthy. 
So it's the systematic application and reapplication of things. It's a repetitive, uh, it's a developing new habits to replace the addictions. And for me, smart facilitation does that for me. And it still does. It's an integral part of my recovery. Uh, you know, developing a structured routine that is going to expose me to things that keep repeating the tools that are working for me. So watching the smart videos, smart recovery has a fantastic YouTube channel that I promote all the time because I've got about 27 different videos on there. You can access them um, also on the smart recovery phone app. They have a toolbox there where you can access uh, at least a dozen of those tools. So it's just, again, systematically reaching. It's building the toolbox for myself and then systematically picking out the tools when I need them to elevate my mood. So the, the, the favorites for me are playing the tape. When I start to fall into romantic recollection now, which I did in 12-step programs every year. Okay, so get, you've, you've got ahead of yourself again. Oh, have I? Yeah, I do that. Sorry. Mm -hmm. So where, where were we're, we? We're on, we're on your contemplation. Okay. Yeah. So contemplation. Um, yeah. So the cost benefit analysis, you can use that not just uh, to look at your addictions, but you can, for any difficult decision that you you're on the fence around that can help you get some clarity around that. And then the change plan worksheet is a really good uh, goal setting. It, it again, helps you formulate what you want in life. Uh, not as intrusively as the hierarchy of values I found. What changes do you want to make? It's a little softer approach, the change plan worksheet. And when you go to the smartrecovery.org website, you go into resources, there's a drop-down menu and just go into tools and you can access these worksheets. I highly recommend you do that. Very, very useful stuff. Okay, so what comes after contemplation? Thanks for keeping me on track there, sweetheart. Uh, determination and preparation. I know I need to do something. I just don't know what to do or how to do it. And I would say this is when the smart tools really come in. Absolutely. So the strategy there now is to seriously consider your options. Uh, start taking small steps. Look to your future, not your past. You know, we have a saying in recovery circles that we can't go back to create a brand new past but we can start from today to create a brand new future. And the tools to use, uh, the cost benefit analysis, the change plan worksheet, and then you can try some different strategies to manage urges. So in that toolbox that you'll find at the smartrecovery.org website, there's something called the urge log. That was really helpful for me early on because it tracks them specifically. So you wanna do the date, the time of day, um, rate your urge from one to 10. You know, normally mine were eight or nine in the early days. Uh, and then being very specific about what triggered the urge. Where was I and who was I with? That, is, mm. that was the common thread that I, that I started to recognize. When you recognize the patterns that you're following when these urges happen, then that arms you with experience and education about, okay, so this is what's happening. Now, what can I do to prevent it and avoid it from happening? So I really love that urge log early in my recovery. And the thing about urges is that an urge is just an invitation. 
right? We learn how to sit with the discomfort. It's, it doesn't last long, it's temporary. And the longer we abstain, the fewer and far between the urges are, right? I, I never get urges now. I've just recently celebrated four consecutive years of abstinence. And I definitely attribute that to my involvement with SMART and, and you know, doing the work. Even in 12-step programs, we say it works when you work it. So doing the work has um, you know, something that resonates with me as well. I feel synergy with cognitive therapy and SMART. I love uh, everything about SMART, the organization, and it works for me, obviously. The proof is in the pudding, as they say. So when it comes to an urge, I would imagine you could use distraction as well. Distraction, and there's lots of great tools from SMART that you can use for distraction. Uh, SMART, self-management and recovery training, they love acronyms, the HOV, the hierarchy value, the CBA, cost-benefit analysis. Uh, there's the DEADS tool, and that's deny, delay, escape. Oh my gosh, I can't even remember it offhand now. And then there's DIBS, uh, disputing irrational beliefs. That's one of my favorites. Uh, playing the tape. You know, you remember the cassette tapes from the uh, 70s and 80s, maybe the 90s. Um, they're vintage now, but they had a side A and a side B. So you play the tape. Okay, so side A, I give into this urge and I have whatever, if I do my substance or behavior, let's play that tape to the end. How's this going to play out? And then side B, I don't. Let's play that tape to the end. How does that play out? And you can do that fairly quickly, like especially even with disputing irrational beliefs when you get good at it and you're using something called the cognitive distortion list. Uh, you can get very good at flicking that switch. You catch it, check it, change it. You can, with practice, you do it quickly. Okay, so what's the next step? Next step is action. It's where the rubber hits the road, <laughs> as they say. So now we're actually doing the work. Uh, the strategy is to work at understanding the addiction. And I, you know, how many years is it now for me? Over a decade since 2009, my recovery path started. And I stopped calling it a recovery journey, although I do refer to it sometimes as a recovery journey. I call it a discovery journey now because, uh, you know, I'm discovering that life can be fulfilling without drugs and alcohol. So I, I prefer to call it a discovery journey now. So can you actually understand your addiction? Well, that's ongoing. You know, there's so very little known about addiction once. That's the thing. What we do know is that it's a chronic illness. SMART doesn't take a position on the disease factor. Um, you know, that's that's a very, you know, we could, we could have an hour conversation just around that alone. But what they do say is that uh, it, it doesn't matter what you believe around addiction, SMART can help you. Cognitive therapies can help you in optimum conditions, of course, as well. And again, you have to find that synergy for whatever works for you. It obviously works for me. Mm -hmm. Tori, what was your question? Now I forgot. Whether you could really understand your addiction. I, uh, I continue to research addiction, you know, what we know um, is that even though it's, it's a complex condition, uh, it's a chronic illness, it's a mental health disorder, and it's still the most stigmatized condition on the planet, even though it's a, it's a biological vulnerability, it's a medical condition, uh, but not treated as such, unfortunately. I think it's a deficiency in dopamine. I think um, largely, for the most part, people are born 
with this deficiency in the chemical dopamine, our brain is a chemical organ. It's running on 80 different chemicals. Uh, dopamine is the reward, the motivator chemical. And when we are unable to maintain healthy levels of dopamine, then we look for them somewhere else. And for me, you know, when I was 11 years old, I discovered that taking a few shots of uh, my father's uh, gin made me feel good. And it gave me that dopamine hit and it numbed the uncomfortable emotions uh, that were going on in life at the time. Well, we met someone last week who I'm presuming wouldn't have become addicted if they hadn't been given pharmaceutical for pain. pain. Absolutely. That's where the opioid uh, pandemic has come from. Absolutely. They call it an epidemic. It's actually a pandemic, I think. Yeah. So do you think that that person would have had um, some type of similar background to you? Because they weren't trying to numb the emotional pain and they were literally trying to numb physical pain for an accident. Right. So and then you're training your brain as well. So you're, when you're taking substances or behaviors that are giving you relief or pleasure, sometimes both, uh, you know, then you're training your brain to need that and you need more of it just because so of the way that, the that chemical inter interaction works. Facing the high. Yeah, exactly. So then after action, sweetheart, um, you know, you identify your best strategies. Uh, you learn how to manage urges and you do the other work. You know, you're updating your change plan. Am I on track? Asking yourself the, the deeper questions. What do I want? What am I doing about it? How do I feel about what I'm doing about it? Uh, developing more rational thinking. I'm not even sure I like that term, rational, irrational. Um, I think... It's just either helpful or unhelpful. Is it moving me toward where I want to be or away from where I want to be? And committing to new activities, right? Filling that vacuum. When we give up addictions, we're creating a vacuum in our biology that needs to be filled with something else. So finding something healthy to fill it with is key. I'm still working on the cookie and ice cream addiction now. <laughs> I, I think that's possibly one of the main factors is that I think a lot of urges and succumbing to urges is through, uh, through boredom because you haven't filled that vacuum of when you used to. Absolutely. Behavior. I, I have a, I had, um, um, a, 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 this was initially called an urge box. So I, I have 50 ways to take a break, a sheet, and I cut them up into 50 different little tabs and uh, then when I was feeling an urge, I could just reach into this box and I could pick something out and, um, oh, meander around town. Great. Well, I'm within walking distance to town, so I'll go for a walk. That kind of thing, right? So it's a distraction. It's an immediate thing. Now I just call it psych push-ups, my, psycholo my psychology push-ups, my psych push-ups. When I'm feeling anxious or depressed or angry or resentful, um, I can dip into that box and... It just, it just helps a distraction and other action that I can do. And then maintenance, sweetheart, is the other part of the stage of change. Once we start taking actions, then we need to maintain it. And this is what comes up in recovery meetings all the time. How do I maintain motivation to continue abstaining from drug and alcohol addictions or substance and behavioral addictions? 
it can be any addiction, right? Gambling, mm-hmm. shopping, um, gaming, porn. Yeah. So what I've noticed in a lot of uh, people who are more successful in their, their recovery is like you, they tend to volunteer within AA, SMART, or other, some type of uh, volunteering role to help other people. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that's that's the, the strongest form of maintenance. Well, it works for me. And that's why, you know, a lot of people, I still go to 12-step programs because I love the peer support. So I think having a, a peer support network is key as well. Wowza, this 30 minutes just flew by. Uh, my darling Lancelot, thank you so much for always being there and living with me through my addictions. Thank you for that. You're welcome, my love. So I hope today's episode of the Red Roof Recovery Show has opened up some possibilities for you. Uh, please, if you think that you would like to talk to me about being a guest on the show, or if you think you or someone you know might qualify for our unique residential program here in Goddard, Ontario, then please reach out to me, redroofrecovery at gmail.com. My name is Tanya McIntyre, and you have just spent 30 minutes with me, and I thank you so much for that. And thanks so much to 98.5 CKWR, the multicultural station in Kitchener. Thank you so much for your support of my work. You guys, I really appreciate you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My wish is for you to uh, stay strong. Just keep at it. And may the force be with you. Remember, you are the force. Thanks.